Good morning, everyone. Hey, good to see you. It's good to be here with you. Some new faces to me, not new to each other. Um, but I'm excited. You know, I think the Lord met me today in a very special way. I was feeling a bit out of sorts. And uh, that song we sing, You're a Good, Good Father, was uh, the song that came to mind. I lost my father in August and as I was sitting uh, in the room with him. My goodbye was that song, you know? And it's just really special and settling to hear that this morning. Um, I miss him, but he's in God's presence. And so we all got to worship together this morning, even though we can't see each other. It's the wonderful thing about worship. You see, God doesn't exist in time. So church services that happened yesterday and church services that will happen eight hours into the future or 18 hours into the future, for God, it's the whole assembly of the believers gathered together, worshiping his name, giving glory and honor to him. And sometimes when I think about that, that just makes me so excited because I know I'm part of something bigger than me, you know, and we are all gathering to do the same thing, and God is is pleased and takes joy in our praises, and God moves in that kind of atmosphere with praise. And so I'm just grateful to our worship team this morning for bringing that song and for all of us for participating in it, because it's not so much important about how it sounds. It's great when it sounds good, but what the Lord takes pleasure is when it comes from our hearts that we lift up his name. Amen? Okay, I'm going to tell you all this. I don't know if I said it before. I'm Southern. I'm from Virginia. And so as a Southern preacher, I need you guys to kind of go, yay, when you understand something. Give me a smile. When you don't, I need you to go, whoa, helper Jesus. <laughs> Help me explain. Then I know I got to explain it a little bit more. And in general, this is a, even though I'm the one talking, is a conversation because I'm reading and, and getting energy from you guys to know in what direction to move. So please join me in full participation as we seek to hear God's voice through his word this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Our God and Father, we're thankful to be in your presence and to have this time with you. I pray, Lord, that you would use me for your glory, that it would be your words uh, through your vessel, but Lord, that it be as pure and truthful as possible. Our deepest desire is to just look at Jesus as the center of our lives, to point everybody toward Jesus and just say, get close by getting to know you. And we thank you, Lord, for those of us who are present who have a relationship with you. We don't just know about you. We don't just do spiritual Christian things, but we live with you and enjoy life with you. And because of that, we enjoy life with one another. Be glorified in the words that come from my mouth today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to jump right in. We're continuing the third and I think final uh, in this series on God is community, okay? Um, for me, uh, all too often in my experience as a Christian, I found myself very confused as I was a younger person trying to live out this faith, right? Um, it seemed to me that fitting into Christian community required for me to believe some things that I didn't necessarily believe or to act in some ways that I didn't necessarily want to act in. Um, and Quite often, it meant that I would act a little uh, more than and better than for people who were 
not Christians or not a part or not living a way that was dictated by the communities I had been a part of. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Um, I found myself disjointed and even more disconnected because it seemed like I had to put on a persona to come into God's house. Um, it was my public face. But I felt like I could go home and actually talk about God, talk to God about real stuff. So it just seemed weird to me, you know. But I knew when I brought that kind of conversation into the church community, I got the immediate rejection. We don't talk about those things. We don't know. We don't hang out with those people. And because I'm older than most of you people here, it was, we don't wear this kind of thing to church, you know. It was, there were so many things that weren't allowed, and I just, I just hated it. But um, God had this call on me from an early age to be a minister, and uh, I ran because I would say to the Lord, look at these people. You want me to be a part of a bunch of mixed-up people who, if truth be told, don't even like each other. And if I tell the complete truth, I don't think I like them either. <laughs> and God worked on my heart and gave me, you know, through time. I, I, as an early young person, I was scared of people in the church. Like they knew something and they were kind of spooky, you know, and I didn't want anybody to read me. Not that I had anything interesting to read, but I didn't want anybody to talk, you know, like that. So, um, over time, because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit and would not let me go, I just ventured into a church in the neighborhood somewhere and uh, just started. These people believed in scripture and taught a lot. And uh, I learned, I learned, and I'm so grateful for them. But I also learned, you know, a bunch of the other stuff. So when I finally came out of my shell, I started to talk to people. And I discovered there were a bunch of us hiding around. It's kind of like people who speak in tongues. They don't really want to tell anybody, but they do it, you know? Um, yet still as a church leader, I felt constrained and contained by the interpretations of what a Christian should be and how a Christian should act. Um, it felt like I was on this Christian performance circuit and each Sunday or Wednesday or whenever, you know, was another day for the performance. Uh, and it was tiring. I needed to deconstruct the shoulds that were floating around and had me confused. And I needed to build a solid foundation. I think that's what we're doing here in this series we've been doing. Building a solid foundation regarding the community that's called Mosaic Community Church. Talk about the whys of community, why it's important for us. Um, and it's not just, it's nice to hang out with people, you know, but there's something special that happens. Uh, this may be, again, new to some, old hat to others, but I hope it's getting us to think a little more deep about community, um, and I hope that it gets us having conversations with one another about what it means to live in community. I want to share what was helpful for me along the journey in hopes that it's beneficial to our community. Ultimately, I share because I believe the Lord is directing me to do this, and uh, you might know even better than I why the Lord is having me share about community with this house since I'm the newbie. And I look forward and really want to encourage you to share with me what you're getting out 
of the sermon and how God is moving in your life through it. Seriously. So when I say call me for a conversation or coffee, I think that was a tradition here with Brad. We're going to continue that one and because uh, I really want to get sit down and know. So what helped me understand uh, and what helped me to practice my core beliefs is, uh, is this. I had to discover what was center because for me, um, I have to ask Jesus a lot of why questions because I just want to know. Um, early church taught me not to do stuff because people said so. So thus, one of the things that's helped me so much and has become a foundation to my journey has been growing in my understanding of the nature of God and the nature of humanity. These have helped me understand that Jesus is at the center. By nature of God, I mean the community that is God, and I mean the hum human community. We are community. We cannot exist and function without one another. It's the beginning of everything, and it's told from the beginning of our Bibles. Can everybody hear me? We're good? Okay. I've been told I, I speak very softly. God's community gives us life. We've talked about a bit about our origin story. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he separated the waters from the firmament. I like those, like, King James words. Um, and he made plants grow. He created animals and humanity, and then he declared over everything that he created that it was very good. Um, far from ancient Near East, I always want to say Far East, but from ancient Near East text and pictures and artifacts, we learned that a lot of cultures had origin stories. They have them, just like we have them. Um, there's debates sometimes over whether the story that we find in Genesis is a literal story or if it's something there for us to learn from. I'm going to go with, for today, that we can learn from this story no matter what you believe. And so we're going to follow it through um, and look at some things a little deeper. Now, the story in Genesis chapters 1 through 3 is a story of the beginning of life. It's also about the ending of life and God's sustaining it. Life for humanity is about God breathing breath into us and we becoming living souls. Many of us have known this from all our time in Sunday school and the little you know, tapes and things our parents put on for us and all the cute things that, that we've learned. But having life is also about having purpose. Having something that drives us, moves us, brings us together. Life is experienced by the community in living in relationship with one another. And in our Christian story, we see that our community was formed around a mission. We have a mission. We read in Genesis 1, 28, and actually through 30, but I may not go completely there. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for food. I have given every green plant for food for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life in it. And you see, that's what happened. This is humanity's mission statement, especially this first portion. 
A mission statement provides direction. It helps communities, organizations, even businesses make sound decisions because they provide clarity about your identity and your purpose. Over the years, I've learned that there's four central questions that need to be answered by the mission statement. Now, for some folks, people don't like mixing business and, and, and church and things, but from the way my brain works, it's just a matter of organization. Life is about relationships. We just do varying things to have relationships with one another. We go to work and have relationships there. We go home and have relationships there. We play on softball teams. We do all kinds of things that we organize our relationships by, and they need some type of order. Scripture tells us that we serve a God who is a God of order. And so in that, we look at this and the order that he has established for us, okay? The mission statement, again, I said it provides direction. When we get to those four questions, the first is, um, what do we do? How do we do it? Three, whom do we do it with? Or four, and the last one, what value does it bring? When we consider these questions in regard to the, the humanity's mission statement, here are the answers that I come up with, and I'd like you to consider. What do we do? We live in, communicate, and manifest the blessing given to us by God. Two, how do we do it? By being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, and governing it. Whom do we do it for? We do it for the fish and for the birds in the sky and for the animals. And King James says, every living thing that moves upon the earth. Simple. Makes sense. The last one is the question that gets me. What value are we bringing? As we look out into our world today, what value are we bringing to what God has given us? What value to who we're supposed to serve? You know, we really focus on the fact that we're supposed to serve one another. And it's true, but yet we're supposed to be a community. And in our community effort, in our unity, we're serving all of creation. We're making sure the birds are okay and the animals are okay and the earth is okay. Because he's given it to us to ensure that. We've gotten mixed up over the years because of the, of, of the words in the King James text. Sometimes the dominion and subdue, they mess with us because they're military words. But in truth, the word, it is a military word that's used in the, um, in the Hebrew. Um, it's kabosh. I always do this. I skip ahead in my text. It's kabosh. And that word is a military word that does mean subdue. It does, in fact, it could mean rape and, or pillage. But it means that only when someone is acting in a violent way against you. You subdue it. You have the right to subdue. It, that's what it means. So when the earth is acting in a way that would cause us harm, when there's a volcano and we need to do something to keep people from harm, when there's something that happens that doesn't bring order, that will actually destroy us and the animals, we subdue that. But that dominion it's about reigning and governing and how we reign with one another. Um, so you see, the earth, the earth, all of creation is waiting on us. 
This could easily be a sermon about environmentalism, but it's not. It's not. But the understanding that the earth and all of creation is waiting on us is vital. It's important. One of the scriptures that lets me know this is found in Romans 8. For the whole creation, this is the amplified version. It's 8, 19 through 22. For even the whole creation, all nature awaits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration and futility, not willingly, but because of some or because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain entrance into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been mourning, moaning, I think mourning too, but moaning together as in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is moaning, waiting for its freedom that comes when we manifest our sonship, according to that scripture, or our likeness, if you hear me, when we manifest the likeness of God, creation begins to be free. Everything is set free. When we manifest that, not just individually, but collectively. So I believe that this is the most valuable thing we bring to existence. Living community in relationships in ways that benefit the world, cause gain acts in service to, assists and promotes the best of all creation. We focused on the wrong things. When we looked into the, uh, this is where I jumped ahead. Let's look at the scripture of Luke, uh, Ezekiel 34, seven. It gives us a picture of what dominion and rules, the type of dominion and rule God wants. It says in tirade against Israel's kings, God says through the prophet, you have not strengthened the weak, you, do, you have not healed the sick. You have not bound the injured. You have not brought back the stray. You have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you've ruled. The dominion that God desires is one that protects the defenseless and gives justice to the oppressed. Applying this to the command to, human, to humanity to exercise dominion over the earth, we have an idea of what God wants from us not to do these things, but the direct opposite. He goes on to say that we subdue the world, um, the earth, because without such, sub again, without such subjugation, the harshness of nature would yield death for us all in life. So it's important that we choose and live that which gives life. God's community sustains life. Yet, in or yet our origin story doesn't just include what the happy and joyful stories that are amazing. It speaks of brokenness and confusion and shame. Um, I couldn't talk about one without talking about the other, for this is part of our foundation. It's the story of humanity in relationship to God. Last week, Jessica asked me, what's your scripture for this Sunday? And I thought, mm, I know I was going to talk about Genesis 3. And I was like, I'm not putting that out there in the newsletter because nobody will show up. But in truth, we need to go through what's uncomfortable as a community as well, right? And 
I want you to hear my take on this. To examine discomfort and be able to face it and deal with it is a strength for individuals and communities. What happens so often, our tendency is to run away from each other. We isolate, we back away, and then we come back and pretend that thing didn't happen, or it happened but it's passed already and it has not, it's not buried in our soul somehow. The soul of us as individuals and our soul as a community. So the result is it kills us from the inside out. At least that's been my experience with it. But we've been told by scripture and we've experienced in our life this, where two or three are gathered in community, in Jesus' name, we're not alone. Where two or three are gathered, alone in the things that harm us isn't good. Alone in the things that give us joy, that's not good either. It's better than the bad, but it's not what God has intended for us. Jesus says we need an us, and we need him. So where two or three are gathered in the, name, in the name of Jesus, Jesus is right there. We know this. So we want to experience the fullness of God in our midst. We need to experience him in our joyful places, in the experience of Jesus, in the uncomfortable, rough places of life, because there's a lot of rough in life. Life is hard. And if it's hard, whether it's good or bad, then we should do it in the places that provide safety and protection and benefit and joy and hope. And that is with each other. There's something powerful about us being gathered with Jesus in the midst. So let's continue. God's community sustains life. So I need you to trust me as we dig deeper into this third chapter because it's a we thing. We've experienced times in our unions or our communities that haven't felt good. In our marriages, when one spouse dominates another, or our partners don't listen. In our families of origin, when we were surrounded by people who felt isolated, and we felt isolated alone, even though we were surrounded by people. Growing up in, house, in households and churches and society that enforced strict gender determinations and roles, for some of us, it hasn't felt good. For some of us walking around in the skin we're in, in a world that doesn't like the skin we're in, it doesn't feel good. In a community that doesn't want to hear about how I may not feel as you expect me to feel in this body. I feel contrary and other. And the community doesn't want to listen to that. It doesn't feel good. In all these instances, we are moved into isolation and aloneness. This is not like our God is. Our rational brains or brains of the past or the way we thought in the past, try to rationalize these things because we want order. And we inject an order in that says males do this, females do that, only men lead, non-binary uh, sense of self is not real. We establish these orders and we push out people and we bury things down and we crush, which is the direct opposite of what God has called us to do. You might express it as the vibes are messed up, that there's a short in the circuits of how life is supposed to flow. The way we move through the world is just jointed and disconnected, and yet the disconnections, tell, we tell ourselves in the midst of them that this is normal. And so we try to make it work in our heads. But it's not what God intended. 
Well, my knower knows something. It took me years and years, I'm 54, to trust my knower. And I tell you to trust your knower. Denying it proved dangerous for me. And I got so disappointed and disillusioned with the church that I left it, called to ministry. So disjointed. When I was doing the right thing and the, and the people in the church were calling me everything but somebody who did right, hurt. So especially for those with a heightened sense of relational awareness, it's hard. It's hard because you feel like you're living out something that the world constantly rejects and you want to put a mask on and cover yourself. I want to focus on the impact that's, that happened in the garden, which is so often described as the fall of humanity. I believe this portion of our origin story, there's some great insights. So I'm going to summarize it instead of reading the entire chapter, okay? God planted a garden. He put humanity in it with instructions. Garden, keep it. We learn uh, that there are two significant trees, the garden, I mean the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God tells them you can eat any tree. Don't eat that good and evil tree. If you eat the tree, you will surely die. They didn't physically die. When I see surely, I expect to see death, especially if I see it in scripture, right? Surely you're going to die. So here's my, here's my paraphrase of it. They ate the fruit, the eyes, their eyes were open. They saw their nakedness. They sowed leaves to hide from each other. With the leaves on, they pretended to be trees to hide from God. God called them because they knew God was there, but they didn't run to him like they always used to do because they were ashamed. God asked who told them they were naked. Um, and if they ate from the tree, told them not to eat from, and then we got the blame game started, and the male blamed God and blamed the woman, and the female blamed the circuit, the serpent, and the female, I think in some way she played dumb, but, that, <laughs> but they both knew better, right? So far, let's talk about what death looks like. Death looks like hiding desiring not to truly be seen by God, shame, blame, and fear of what and who should not be feared. This is what death looks like. Summed up, community experience separation, brokenness in relationships with the community that's God, pain and brokenness as the community that's human, the human community expanded in the world, brokenness in the intimate relationships we could have with one another, the tendency toward hierarchies, which God never intended, and broken relating with the rest of creation. This is what death looks like. And all creation groans and moans. Eternal life was always the plan. They were given instruction, don't eat that. It was like God was saying, honor who I am in our relationship by listening to me and doing what I ask. Just don't eat. And what wasn't said, or what was said, but not as directly, is you, can, you get to decide what you eat and when you eat it. Eternal life was always, was always the plan. So the tree of life was never withheld from them. Death, 
separation from each other, separation from God, and then years later the body died. The origin story leads me to define sin as that which deals in death. For being separated from the community is death for the community and then death for the body. When I was younger, I struggled with what sin was. You know, people had all kinds of lists of things that you could and couldn't do. And you didn't know whose list that you were on and you're trying to, I, maybe I was, you know, I needed acceptance and whatever and I was just going for it, you know. So I tried to be the perfect angel. And then I read scripture and I got even more confused, honestly. And then I read the seventh and eighth chapters of the book of Romans. Um, and I found some relief and enough space to grow up. Um, I want to encourage you to read that. The seventh chapter is that chapter that says, Oh, wretched, I'm King James girl because I'm old. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of sin and death? Well, Paul talks about the things that I want to do, I can't do, and the things I, 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 I just kind of strap myself down not to do, I find myself doing them. I, I, I find that there's a war inside my body. That's that chapter. And I was like, hallelujah, I am not the only one. I am not the only one. And then you get to that first verse of the eighth chapter. Um, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who walk or live by the Spirit. Um, it helped me function. And then I was able to do more studying and came to understand that sin is that, again, which separates us from God and all that God created. It is the alone that's not good. Make sense? Our origin story said it did, and our, or, I'm sorry. In our origin story, God said and did a bunch of stuff that was good. The only thing God said that wasn't good was being alone. You get that? That's the only thing he said wasn't good. Humanity in our origin, origin story lived in community with each other and relational community with God. Death entered in because of their actions. Thus for me, sin, again, is death dealing. Am I practicing death dealing activities that bring on and compound my separation from you and my separation from God? As a community, we have to ask ourselves that question in the things that we're doing. Are we participating in that which gives life? For living our mission in the world is participating in that which gives life. Being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth with good, just like God did. Are we remembering that in some cases alone isn't good? I'm an introvert. I need a little bit of time to energize. Why? So I can go back to relationship. That's different. Okay? So I'm not saying all alone, uh, all types of being alone are, are, are bad just the ones that separate us out continually and for long periods of time from the community. It still isn't good to be alone. And when we see that people are alone in their fight for justice, their need for food and shelter, when creation is being mistreated, alone is happening in a world that God declared was very, not just good, very good. And alone is happening. So there's a blessing in community that overflows to all creation. A unified community determined to practice 
as much as it's able, justice and righteousness is a community that will bless the world. We are not to fulfill the mission of the church without community. It can't be done. And so, <laughs> maybe it's the reason we have so many, so many churches when you look down one street. But we were talked about last week and are given the words righteousness and justice that shape our knowledge, our understanding of what it is to live in community, to be in right relationship with one another. Amos said in Amos 25, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. We want that river to flow because we believe as a church that we're called to make an even great city greater by the ongoing work Jesus is doing. We want our state, our nation, and all peoples of the world to know what it's like to be spiritually connected, purpose-filled, and to live satisfying lives. That's a good mission statement. Wrapped up in simple words, we don't want anybody to be alone. We don't want anyone to not understand that God is for them and that they can live in community with us and with God. And it may be hard, but the deepest desire of our heart is to bring value to them, to bring value to their walk, their living, their ways, to bring value, and to acknowledge that I need the value that you bring because my life is not full without you. I can't do things without you. And loneliness is devastating. And God calls us to be like God in unity in our community in the earth. For where there is unity, God commands a blessing. Psalms 133, 1 through 3 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, falling down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of, of Hermon. It falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. God has commanded the blessing, life forevermore for us as we live in unity. Forgive me, I'm new here. <laughs> as we live in unity, because this. When we act in ways that look like and reflect our God, our God comes and joins us in the midst of them. And in the midst of that unity, miracles happen. It was a miracle when God said, let, us, let, uh, let there be light, and there was light. And there were trees and there were animals. These things took place in the course of, of life, the world, how wor the world existed. But for us, we think miracles are special that they're rare, that they don't happen. But from what we understand through the scripture, miracles were a part of history. Miracles is a part of who we are and what happens. It takes God performing Godness, being God. That's what a miracle is, God being God in the earth with us. For us, 
to walk in the blessing because God only wants good for us. Yes, bad happens because we're living in the kingdom that is and the kingdom that's not yet. We're living in that rough place because we do things that are death dealing. We do things that hurt and separate us from one another. But God has called us to do that which is life giving. He made us in his image and in his likeness, and he produced life that we could do it for one another and with one another. So we have to constantly ask ourselves the question, am I living in a way that's yielding life for my brother or my sister? Am I handling my finances in a way that yield life, not just for my family, but for the whole family? Am I operating in a community that says to people, God is present and real and wants to know you? and wants to know me? Am I recognizing the silent struggles that are happening in the life of the person sitting beside you and reaching out to touch them so even in the midst of their sorrow and suffering, they know they're not alone? This is community. This is life. But that which deals in death is constantly around us. And we are fighting and, and pushing it off. But we do it so much better when we do it together. I needed to understand God, the God who is community, and the human community. So I understand that God is the giver of life. But I told you in the garden, death happened, and I showed you death. But God is the sustainer of life, and that he did in the person of Jesus. When we were lost in relationship to one another, Christ came. And Christ in his living, quite often we talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's not enough. We need to talk about the life and the death. Because in his living, he showed us what it was to live in the world, to be a part of people and things. And Jesus' words weren't always sweet, but they were always life-giving. I mean, my favorite words are when he's telling the disciples, they're getting on his nerves, you know? <laughs> How long am I going to be with y'all? <laughs> I just laugh every time I read it because it's real. He was a real man. He was God who stepped into God's creation, which is it's like beyond miracle, right? And then God, who was life, died. He separated himself from this community for a period. My head can't even get around that. But because in him was life, he couldn't be separated permanently from that which he was a part of. So life called him back. Life called him back. And he rose again from the dead. I smile at this because when we develop a relationship with God, it's not about having fire insurance or destination, have a destination, you know, eternity in heaven, like people have destination weddings. You know, it's not about that. It's about the relationship because life is calling us. So I don't have to worry about where I'm going. Because I know wherever God is, that's where I'll be. And it is about the living, the living in community together. Jesus is the center because he's God and because he's man. 
he was able through sacrifice to bring us together. Jesus is at the center of it all. And so we are a center set church that says, come on, keep walking. Don't, don't not come because you did something wrong yesterday, you know, or because shame wants to grip you. Defy shame and come anyway and find a confessor and say you did it. And see if you got to pick wisely. But if you find, if you pick wisely, they'll embrace you. If you pick wisely in an honest community, they might tell you the story of how they did the same thing. And then they'll share how they overcame. God is community. This is the message we have to share with the world. It doesn't matter what they say when they say you don't belong. When people say things that put you in isolation and alone, you are not. You belong to this community and the community of God. People need to hear that. And they need to see it because we hear it a lot, right? But seeing it in living, breathing color, we can say right here at 123 South 51st Street, we got that going on. It ain't perfect, but we got it going on. To God be the glory. Great things he's done. Great things he's continuing to do. Amen? Amen. Amen.